I do have to ask, why do trade deals have such ridiculous acronyms? (laughs) Well, I'm glad we're starting with the important issues. Names aren't the only complex thing about trade deals, and New Zealand has just agreed to the largest deal in the world. New Zealand has signed the RCEP, RCEP, uh, that's the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, along with 14 other countries in the Asia-Pacific region. Fifteen countries, eight years in the making, nearly a third of the global population and about 30% of global GDP. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang and today on The Detail, what is RCEP and what will it actually mean for New Zealand? And didn't we already have a trade deal with the same countries? Something that started off as the TPP but kept changing its name? Why sign up to another one? In terms of the deal itself, it's not fantastic. And I think probably everyone would would admit that, even the government, if you talk to ministers privately. It's not as good as it could have been. And why are trade deals so important anyway? I think it's been estimated that about one in four jobs comes from trade. So, you know, it's something that really matters to us. Trade deals don't make for the sexiest headlines, but they play a big role in how easy it is for us to access products from overseas. For your listeners, you know, they might be listening on a computer or an iPhone. Obviously, those things are not made here in New Zealand. That's Stephanie Honey, a former trade negotiator for the New Zealand government who now runs her own trade consulting firm. The reason that we trade is not because it's something that's cool and great to do in and of itself. I do think that because I'm a trade policy consultant. But the reason we trade is because we essentially buy things overseas so that we can buy things that we don't make here at home ourselves. So the import side of trade is actually just as important as the export side. So being able to export our fantastic things that we do make, whether that's dairy products or meat or wine or you know some of the amazing video games and and digital things that we produce uh, helps us to earn the money to buy the things that that we want here at home ourselves. And overall, you know, there's a very strong relationship between being involved in trade and being open to trade and improved prosperity back at home. So, you know, jobs, better living standards, all of those things are enhanced by trade. We send out lots of amazing food and and cultural products, creative economy products, films, you know, the the Lord of the Rings and so on, and we import other things. And I think it's been estimated that about one in four jobs comes from trade. So, you know, it's something that really matters to us. And the trade deals help to make sure that our exporters, the, the, the New Zealand firms that are selling those things overseas, have a more level playing field. We can get through the door into those other markets and then we can compete fairly with our with our excellent products and services. And we'll get into the country's latest trade deal. But first, here's the answer to my burning question about long-winded acronyms. These things are kind of complicated and people often want to explain a little bit of the flavour of, you know, what they're all about. Uh, So, for instance, RCEP, uh, you know, among all the other alphabet soup of acronyms, RCEP, the Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement, uh, is really, I guess, signalling to the world that this is about community 
in the the Asia Pacific region, and there's a clue in the name, comprehensive. So it covers a very broad sweep of a sort of economic activity. So it's goods, uh, which are the most, I guess, obvious things. You know, everyday people would think of selling our our meat or our dairy products, but it's also services. We have some fantastic new access through RCEP for things like computer services, education, environmental services and so on, professional services. Um, there's also an investment component to it because money is a very, you know, capital flows are a really important part of modern economies as well to help us scale and innovate and all those other good things that help to create a healthy economy. Who, who comes up with the acronyms? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I suspect it's probably the officials after a long night of negotiating, uh, you know, <laughs> might might dream up something. But, uh, you know, I think RCEP is, is a little bit easier to say than some anyway. Easier to say, but not necessarily easier to understand. The Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership Agreement is publicly available to read on the government's Ministry of Foreign Affairs website, But be warned, it is a 510-page document. I have to confess, first of all, I have not read the entire document because I do have better things to do with my life. That's Sam Suchdeva, the political editor for newsroom.co.nz. He breaks down what's actually in the deal. It's setting out some rules and agreements around how much we have to pay in tariffs if we're sending, you know, dairy, sheep meat or butter or something into Southeast Asia and some other some other sort of standards around investment. You know, if you've got a, a Korean investor who wants to bring money into New Zealand. So it's just, just setting out rules and regulations that are meant to make it easier for people in the region to, to do business with one another. Okay, so do we know what that looks like? Yeah, it's a little little weird for New Zealand because we already have free trade deals with all of the countries that are involved. There aren't huge wins for us in that space. There are some improvements, I believe, in tariffs with Indonesia, and I think, again, that is around dairy and, and perhaps um, horticultural products. So there's a bit of progress there. But generally for us, it's not so much much about the tariff gains, whereas for China, Japan, South Korea, this is the first time they've all been in a, an FTA together. So they, they get some real wins in terms of tariff reductions that we don't get just because we're already signed up with all of these other countries that are involved. So then what what's the point of having this trade deal? Because, you know, we, we do have individual trade deals with all of them. Yeah, yeah. So the the big win is that it sets out some common rules and standards that apply to all of the 15 members. So at the moment, you know, if we want to send, for example, a coffee cup that's made here to to China or to Malaysia or to to Indonesia, we will have low tariffs, but how how the rules around, you know, what sort of inspections that coffee cup has to get at the border before it goes through uh, you know what sort of certificates it has to have signed off in terms of proving that it's a New Zealand product and so on. Those can be very different for each country. So it's just simplifying it. So you can say, look, if you are one of these 15 countries, you can send uh, a product to to any of the other 14 and you'll know that the same rules apply. So it just makes life easier really for, for Kiwi businesses and exporters so they don't have a whole bunch of different rules that they have to read through each time they're, they're sending something out. And is there any concern in terms of 
will New Zealand have to give up anything? Not really. There is some concern uh, from sort of interest groups. I think It's Our Future, which was uh, had concerns about the CPTPP, which is another big, big trade deal with a bunch of countries that we're involved in. We're here to show our dissent for the TPPA. We are going to engage as much peaceful progress today. It's an amazing turnout today in Auckland and we expect around the country and at least 17 other places telling the government they have no mandate to sign a secretly negotiated deal in our name that's not in our interest. They've also had concerns about RCEP, I think, and this idea that we might be trading away uh, some of our our standards. But I, I don't think there's a... There's a huge threat in that space, really. There's no ISDS, an investor state dispute settlement mechanism. What, what's that was that? that was, yeah, so that's that's if you are a, uh, a foreign company uh, that's doing business in New Zealand, for example, and you think that New Zealand government has has broken the the free trade deal by how they've they've treated you, you can go to a, a special sort of court process that's set up specifically for the the free trade agreement. So there was this fear with the TPP or CPTPP that, you know, New Zealand, the New Zealand government could be taken to court by, say, a, a giant tobacco company over tobacco taxes and 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 be found against and have to pay some some massive whack of money. So there was just a bit of concern about the transparency around that. But uh, as I say, it's not in RCEP. There's a mention in there, I think, that they're going to discuss in a couple of years whether they can come up with a different mechanism that, that might provide the same sort of protection. But that, that's sort of been a big fear in the past, and that's, that's not showing up in, in this one. RCEP also protects the Crown's obligation to the Treaty of Waitangi. But when it's all said and done, Sam Suchdeva says the overall benefit of RCEP to New Zealand just isn't as much as some thought it would be. In terms of the deal itself... It's not fantastic, and I think uh, probably everyone would, would admit that, even the government, if you talk to ministers privately. It's not as good as it could have been, and it's it's got lower standards when it comes to things like labour rules and the environment than the CPTPP, but I think they figured that, you know, getting something across the line with with some gains was was better than nothing, so that's why they've signed off on it. Is it concerning, like, the the lower standards for labour and environmental rules for these countries? Uh, I suppose it... it, I mean, it it is in terms of, if you look at it objectively, that New Zealand has strong views about how we should protect the environment and how we should protect workers, and we should be insisting on that in talks with other countries. So if you look at it through that frame, then, you know, yes, it it probably is a little bit disappointing. Does it make the situation in those countries worse as a result of the signing this? I I wouldn't have thought so. Some people might disagree, and that's probably an an area of contention between people who are critical of this deal and who support it. It it is a really tricky one, and you go, is, is that the right place to sort these things through free trade deals or do you need to do it with specific environmental agreements and mm. and labour agreements? So that's a sort of a different argument that, that comes up sometimes. At the end of the day, RCEP is only estimated to bring $2 billion into the New Zealand economy in 25 years' time. Even compared to CPTPP, I think the, the numbers that um, our Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Trade did, that was up to $4 billion 
in games by 2040. So it's 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 less than that. A big problem for us was when India pulled out of the deal because we don't have an FTA with India, and that would have been a, a you know a huge win in terms of reducing tariffs, which which are in place and are are pretty heavy in some industries. And I think MFAT had said that our GDP gains would be cut by about 40% if India withdrew. So that's sort of almost half of the value, really, that goes out the door when India does. So that, that was a big loss for us in terms of the pure monetary side of things. Am I putting it crudely if I say the Indian economy is at this point, for legitimate reasons, not sufficiently competitive to be having a trade agreement which lifts all barriers with 15 other countries. From our perspective, when you enter into an FTA, there are also, you're opening up yourself to a commitment uh, for unfettered, in a sense, imports of a large range of goods. Currently, especially in our small-scale industries, and especially in our farm sector, there were serious concerns that if we were to open at this stage, and in the manner in which the agreement was structured so far, that it could cause a serious injuries. So why did India pull out then? Uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, there were some protests by their dairy sector uh, over there it's, um, in different regions of India, and part of that was a fear that if they signed this deal, you would have you know New Ze- the New Zealand dairy sector that would sort of flood flood the country with cheap products that are you know, high quality, and all of a sudden they would all be out of a job. And that comes up all the time, uh, you know, when we're involved in free trade talks. It's been a problem with the European Union. They've Some of their countries have expressed similar concerns. Uh, so that was, a, that was a bit of a worry. Probably the bigger issue and the reason why they pulled out was a, a fear that a similar thing would happen, but with manufacturing from China coming into India. Mm. So the the Indian government, Indian politicians... Are relatively protectionist. They, you know, want to sort of keep keep uh, the the barriers up and and protect Indian companies that are selling goods within the country. So that was sort of the the two two of the main reasons why they they changed their minds and backed out. That would have been super disappointing, right? Because they kind of backed out at the last minute at the end of last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I remember talking to the trade. Trade Minister at the time, David Parker, and some other some other trade experts, and they were still hopeful. You know, less increasingly uh, less so as we got closer to the signing date. But they thought there might be a chance that India would stay in. Uh, so I think with them gone, you know, that that is a real blow because if you look at the pure pure dollars and cents, as I say, that that's where we would have really won if if India had been involved in this. Is the only reason why we're kind of staying on because we're hoping that India might change their mind and come back? That is a possibility and I know the deal has been set up in such a way that if India does change its mind and wants to come back into the fold that they would be you know welcomed in as long as they were willing to to sign on to what's in there. Um, another part of it, and this this sounds a little bit wishy-washy, but it, it is true, is the symbolic value, I guess, of having these countries all willing to team up and sign on to a, a multilateral deal. I mean, we look at the United States and they've 
increasingly stepped away from their their involvement in global organisations and this this idea that countries need to work together. There are a lot of protectionist leaders, uh, authoritarian leaders, coming to power around the world. So it sends a bit of a signal that you know, look, we can still work together, and there is there is value in doing that. And the fact that China's involved, you know, one of the world's largest economies, a superpower that that they are in play as well, that that carries a little bit of um, you know symbolic significance, I guess, in terms of the the fact that other big countries should be coming to the table as well. Right, so it's it's more of like a show of partnership. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I have seen some reaction in the US there. So their Chamber of Commerce put out a press release saying, look, we don't necessarily need to sign up to RCEP ourselves, but we need to make sure that we're not left behind, that we are at the table having these conversations. So it's it's clearly having an effect, and, and I think that, that would be helpful in that regard because anything that will get the US sort of re-engaged in, in multilateral discussions is going to be good for New Zealand because, you know, the more that the, the bigger countries have had bilateral deals, so, you know, go one-on-one with a small country like New Zealand, that's not going to work very well for us. Whereas if we can t- team up with a bunch of other countries that are a similar size, then that that means we're more likely to, to get a better deal. So any any pressure that can go on those bigger countries to come to the table and, and negotiate with smaller countries as a block is is going to be good for us. So the bottom motivation is really just fear of missing out. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and it, it's it's you know it's not a zero sum game entirely, but that is probably a, a worry, right? Like if you don't come to the party and and offer up something, what who else is going to do it? And that's you know there's been a U.S. China great power rivalry that's that's really come to the fore in the last few years, and that that might drive a lot of it. And it's. You know, it's you don't want to play them off against the other too much, but you know, if that helps helps New Zealand, then um, so be it. The deal has been signed. What happens now? Like, do the public get a say on what the deal actually looks like? Sort of. So there, there was public consultation that started back in 2013, I think, which is when these talks first began, but. What's happened so far is is pretty much all you're going to have in terms of substantive input to the deal and what it looks like. It does have to go through a ratification process. So the rules are that at least six of the ASEAN countries and three of the non-ASEAN countries have to sort of sign it off domestically at home before the deal takes effect. So that could take a, a little while. I've heard a, a sense that it might be you know, around a year's time where they get to that point or close to it. So the New Zealand side, it, it has to go to Parliament, uh, so the deal and something they call a national interest analysis, which has to be done saying, look, here are the pros, here are the cons, here's you know, why we think it's worth it or, or not. And then that will go to the Foreign Affairs Select Committee and they will sort of conduct what's called a, a treaty examination process. So they'll, they'll look through it, they'll invite experts to come and speak to the committee, and they can have public submitters. I think that's happened in the past. I'm, I'm pretty sure that did happen with the CPTPP. So, you you know, if you do have concerns or a member of the public has concerns, they'll, they'll have an ability to come and speak to to the select committee and say, look, here's why we shouldn't sign on, or here's, here's what worries me. But 
having said that, it's it's highly unlikely to change what what the final deal looks like simply because all those countries have signed off on it now. And if New Zealand was to go back and say, hey, we want to change X, Y and Z, the others will probably say, oh, well, no, you, you take it as it is or you don't sign on at all. So, mm. And we've, we've, we've clearly decided, the government has decided it's, it's worth it. So that, that, that's more likely to sort of stay as it is. And as for the general transparency of trade deals? Transparency, I think, has improved because the, the way the TPP was handled and the reaction it had, you know, you had thousands of people on the streets in New Zealand, and that is pretty rare these days to have protests of that size. So I think they've realised that they needed to be more transparent and, and explain to the public why they are signing these things and what the benefit is. I think it's partly a function of the fact that up until a few years ago, most people would have thought trade was pretty boring and it often wasn't particularly newsworthy. We now, I think, have a much greater understanding of the interests and concerns of, of people, of our communities, about trade, and trade itself has a much higher profile than it did before. And so even though the negotiations have been going to, since 2012, so eight years, um, you know, it hasn't had a hugely high profile. But now, of course, I think particularly the government has been very aware of the need to do more and better in, in making these trade deals visible. And so... Uh, a few years ago, the last government, led by you know the then Trade Minister David Parker, launched a new process called Trade for All, uh, which very much emphasises the need for consultation and transparency and understanding the concerns of our community about trade deals. Um, and also, the other side of that is, is really ensuring that trade deals actually deliver opportunities and benefits for everybody as well. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to a mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Ari van der Poel and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Stephanie Honey and Sam Suchdaver. Mā te wā.